0: So obviously I seen him around the uh, the songwriting place and was nervous and I was I wanted to speak to him so much. So I got my opportunity one day. He was sitting there's a little old wooden house on the ranch place and he was sitting there on his phone and I walked in. There was no one else around, so I sat in front of him and I was like, you know, quivery voice and nervous as hell. I said something to him and again, he threw me daggers like
1: Welcome to the social fabric podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Splendori. And this week, my guest is singer songwriter, Gordon Barry. For this new series of podcasts, I've decided to change the format slightly and instead in seven songs, I'm asking my guests to give me three songs and a book of their choice. I just thought that after nearly three years, the format was getting a little tired. As always, the songs in the podcast format have been shortened for rights reason. You can find the full songs on Social Fabric Playlist on Spotify. The program also goes out every Monday at 4.30pm on Near FM and at 3.30pm on Flirt FM on Tuesday. Please subscribe, share and review. It really helps, and it's one way for podcasts like this to survive. The title tune is Alice by Lucky Bones.
2: Can I call you up, oh Alice, on a Friday night? We could reminisce on old days.
1: Conversation on different things, but uh, uh, so yeah, normally I have a couple of questions, and the rest of you chatting away, telling me whatever you want to tell me. But uh, so if that's okay with you, I'll, I'll get started. Yeah, we'll see what we can get
0: out of me. I'm sure we we'll get something interesting. It's it's Andrea, is it? Andrea, yeah, Andrea, just Andrea. so I get it right,
1: pronounce it right. Yeah. Italian, I'm Italian, yeah, I've been here 30 years. Uh, next July, okay. so um. Yeah, but originally from Rome. You're kind of Irish then, really, aren't you? I used to be, a, yeah, I'm more, more Irish than Italian at this stage. More than half of me is Irish, so uh, I'm well certainly, I don't, I'm not going anywhere. I've been here yeah. uh, long enough to 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 survive a couple of recessions, so if I survive
0: a couple, yeah, I'll, I'll stick around. Your accent is like, it's very in the middle now, Italian-Irish.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, Olivia Gordon, tell us about you. Tell me a bit more about you. You're from Wexford, born in Wexford. Tell tell me a bit of um, your, your postcard of your of your story. Tell me a little bit about you.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, from Wexford, yeah, I've been here. Born here. Um, spent most of my life here. Spent a couple of years in uh, living in New York, but... As far as, as Wexford is concerned, that's where I'm from, and that's where I am now, and that's where the music all started as well. And tell me a bit
1: more about it before we get to the music, because I have loads of questions about the music. But tell me a bit more about uh, Wexford, growing up and as a kid, and all of that—just just some memories of it.
0: Yeah, um, went to the uh, Christian Brothers uh, Secondary School. So I got to see Catholicism in all its glory. Uh, Played sports when I was a kid, played football when I was a kid. Um, Wasn't into music till I think 15, maybe. Um, Yeah, you know, it was a good town to grow up in. We got nice beaches here and uh, the people are nice and It's a good
1: place to rock. And tell me about the, the 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 Catholic in all its glory. What what was that all about? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, I think when I was in secondary school, it was the end of I don't know whether corporal punishment was um, was banned at that time, but we certainly got a few lashes and all that um, by the priests and all that. Um. Yeah. That's kind of where what I meant with that.
1: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. And tell me something: what got you into music there at fifteen or so? And what what got you into it?
0: Um, I just remember getting into it. I remember going to Kerkloot to the beach, and and there was kids down there playing pool, and they were listening to um, <laughs> Guns and Roses, "Appetite for Destruction." <laughs> And I loved it, man. You know that that really that got into me. That's where I started off with a real love for music. was Was hearing that album, and obviously then grew up listening to that, and was around for Nirvana and all that. And then, but then somewhere I don't know whether it was in my genetics or whatever, I got into country music, which is far from from that. And that's where my journey as a musician started. It was really getting into country music. Um, there wasn't a lot of music in the house, I remember, but there was a couple of tapes, and one of them was Glen Campbell, and one of them was Johnny Cash. They were my dad's. So somewhere I must that stuff must have been gone into my head. <laughs> yes. I wouldn't have admitted it when I was a kid, but now it's my favourite stuff.
1: And uh, so you listen to, you got down the beach, you heard that the music and... What did you do? You went off bought, bought a guitar straight away or how How did that?
0: No, I didn't. I started to grow my hair and probably think I was like Axel Rose or something like that. <laughs> uh, didn't get a guitar till I was, I got a bass when I was 17 off a guy called Bundleby and uh, started playing the guitar at 18, started trying to sing, wasn't any good. Uh, locked myself in a friend's garage and we tried to learn tom petty songs Um we were we were dire but <laughs> that's where it started brilliant
1: brilliant yeah and uh but you i i remember doing that as a teenager we, we used to play in a friend's um father's house and uh and eventually he built a it, it, it soundproofed the garage to get us out of the sitting room we said look you're you're atrocious (laughs) it's time time for and we used to record on the on the old tapes now i'm much older than you used to record on the on the old tapes you know press the record and play at the same time (laughs) because cassettes like the cassettes
0: yeah 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 and i used to i used to record on them on the uh was it a stereo or a boombox or something
1: like that Uh, yeah yeah. brilliant (laughs) so tell me about your first song that you picked what song did you pick and why
0: uh, I picked Copperhead Road by Steve Earle because it started, it started a big journey for me um, with Steve Earle and, and going to America and it opened up a lot of opportunities for me. Um, uh, thankfully, I got to see Steve play it in, right in front of me on the acoustic guitar with no one around and I got to see him play it in a packed Olympia at the side of the stage and what an honour you know he's my favourite artist so. well
2: my name's Conley more same as my daddy and his daddy before. Hardly ever saw
1: a granddaddy down here. They only come a town about twice a year. They buy pounds so what do you you mentioned them, let's let's go to the, let's jump to the you went off to to work with Tivarl. You went off to do the uh this you got a scholarship there with Steve Earl. I forget the name of the full name of the of this uh, music music
0: um, yeah, it's a Cam Copperhead. It's his songwriting school in Woodstock, and uh, I was lucky enough to get a scholarship to go over there. Um, uh, it was just a thrill, you know. He's he was always top top of my influences, so it was a little daunting at first, but then he's just like anybody else. But the music is still wonderful, and Copperhead or all is what got me started, I had that album on tape and uh, just started a great journey to go over there and, you know, going over there and sitting with him and then a a lot of opportunities rose up from that. I got to, I got Steve Fisk to mix my album from that and uh, here we are. Rewind a little bit because there, how would you get a
1: scholarship to go to to Steve Earle's music? Tell me a bit about that.
0: Yeah, I was I was living in Manhattan for a while, doing odd jobs and being a an illegal scoundrel, and uh, I seen Steve Earle on the street one day outside the, uh, it was some pub in the East Village. I was like, oh, my God, there's Steve Earl. I slapped him on the shoulder and I said, all right. And he, he threw me daggers like, uh, I, just kept, I just kept walking. I was like, all right. <laughs> and then a little while after that, I seen that he was doing this workshop thing. So I made my way up to it. Uh, got to know him. Uh, got to know his manager. And then the next year, they asked me to come over for for free for on the scholarship role. Uh, I was one of one of two students that got offered that. So that's how that came about.
1: And on what grounds, uh, Gordon? What grounds do you get the scholarship? I mean I know nothing about scholarship.
0: So how did
1: you send in a couple of your songs or
0: No, I um played live for him over in, in the first one. Played like played in front of him, like playing for the king, you know, Jelly Legs and uh, I guess he liked what he heard and asked me to come back. Nice. And what did you play? One of your songs? I played The Hollows, one of my songs, and I played Devil and St. Jesus.
1: Yeah, like that.
0: Yeah.
1: Nice. <laughs> and uh, that, tell me a bit more about it. I, I love Steve Earle, um, uh, but uh, I, I just just curious to see uh, how, like you just mentioned, Jetty Legs, Give me a bit more of a description. It's just, I'm curious, you, where'd you go? Is it an hotel room? Tell me a bit more about
0: the oh, first time? So, obviously, I seen him around the, uh, the songwriting place and was nervous and I was, I wanted to speak to him so much. So, I got my opportunity one day. He was sitting, There's a little old wooden house on the ranch place and he was sitting there on his phone and, I walked in, there was no one else around, so I sat in front of him. And I was like, you know, quivery voice and nervous as hell. And I said something to him, and again, he threw me daggers. Like, he he just... I went, oh, no, he's not going to talk to me now. And I mentioned something then about the Pogues, I think. Shane McGowan, another one of my favourite um, artists. And he, he just lit up then. His eyes lit up. And he started to tell me how... They recorded um Johnny come lately for the uh it's on the Copperhead Road album, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. How they record he recorded with the Pogues and how it hung out with the Pogues and all the debauched tales they got up to and um you know he loves Ireland, he lived in Galway and from then on then I was in. We were talking away from then on, like.
1: Nice one And um I remember uh, Steve Wall, good friend of mine of the stunning. I remember over the years, he goes off every now and then. He goes off and does a week or so of writing, just goes off and retreats. Just to... and what's the what's the um, the, sco- the the school there, or the the school writing school? What's what, how does it work? I mean, how,
0: how, what's the day like? The day is um, you get up and you have your breakfast. Everyone has their breakfast together, so. Steve and his people and, uh, and us and, and then there'll be a class so it could be from nine to eleven and then he'll crack out the guitar and you know he'll tell you how he wrote in embionic uh, pentameters and haikus and then you'll go for dinner, come back. Uh, talk about some of his albums and uh, small groups then will break off to try co-writing with each other. Um, And I think it was was mostly American people and Canadian people. There was one other Irish guy there from Cork, David Hope, was there. Um, And then you just hang out in the night. I was drinking a lot at the time, so a lot of the kids from uh, they came from Tennessee and stuff. They brought little jars of moonshine. And we drank them and played guitar at night in in this beautiful place in Woodstock. Kind of like a dream, really. But and then on the last night, Steve will play a concert for you, wow. and a couple of you play for him. Wow, wonderful! Yeah, we create those songwriting retreats, you know. Especially in that place over there, I, there's a lot of people. And Tommy Emanuel does classes over there, and there's a lot of stuff over there. I think Danny Danny heaps on that he was, I think he was at Guns N' Roses manager once, but he bought that area up there.
1: I read, a I read one of the qu- the quotes from Steve Earle to say, "Yeah, uh, very very nice quote about you and how what a wonderful songwriter." And he dis- uh, what I liked about it, he said. Great, one of the great songwriters come out of my school, my my school, but he was a great when he came in beforehand, uh, which is yeah. fantastic. Oh, I'm paraphrasing. There's a bit more to it, but yeah, uh... yeah, no, that's it. That's uh I was thrilled to get that. Um... But but that's that's really amazing. But tell me something. Uh, did you, from the moment you walked in to the moment you walked out, did you feel that your your songwriting skills improved? Uh...
2: Yeah,
0: there was things I I picked up, but no, I was like my album was written before I went there, so I would think I was decent enough anyway. Mm. But yeah, I definitely picked things up from him. Um, we had a lot of I had a lot of homework for myself to, you know, artists that he told me about and books and stuff like that. So yeah, you definitely, of course, you get something from it. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so tell me about your song number two, Jordan, please.
0: Song number two, uh, I picked "The Promise" by Bruce Springsteen. The version on tracks, which is it's just just him and a piano. It's just a beautiful song. But that the reason why that one is special to me because it's linked with. Being up there as well in 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 Camp Copperhead, um, I met a good friend up there from Scotland, and we sang that song one night on the piano. And um, she was playing the piano; I can't play the piano, but it was just the whole setting of the place. You know, it was pitch black. It's in the middle of an the hour. Uh, there was fireflies going around, and there was crickets chirping, and. It was in this old wooden house on the porch. So for me, it just lit up that. The images I had in my head of the Great America and from all the books I read and stuff. Um, it was just a moment, Andrea. Uh, it was just a very special moment to sing that song with her. And uh, that's why I chose that one. Big fan of Springsteen. Johnny works in a factory.
2: Billy works downtown. Terry works in a rock and roll band, looking for the million dollar sound. I got a job down in Darlington, but some nights I don't go. Some nights I go you mentioned it, so you,
1: you released your first EP in 2014, I'm right? Um, yeah. And again, I'm just curious about the journey. We're, we're going to get to your latest one, which just came out. But again, what's it like to, and, and what, what did it take to release a first EP in 2014? So the, the music scene had already moved on from... You know, the old days where you could just release one EP it was already Spotify, it was already all of that. But but what's it like to actually release an EP and what did it take?
0: Yeah, um I probably should have released one a long time before that. I mean I'd done some really cheap, independent stuff when I was when I was younger, but that was my first set of songs that I was really comfortable with. Um And there was a studio here in Wexford, a friend of mine was recording there. Um, And I bought a microphone, I bought a cheap microphone, 50 quid I think, and a cheap interface, and I tracked four of the songs at home. And then we went into the studio, and overdubbed it with, uh, I think some piano, some pedal steel, and that kind of started to create my sound, I think, from what I went on to do with the album and the next EP. It was daunting, and when you don't have any money, it's hard, Andre. It's you know, you're scrimping and you're asking favors, and you feel bad for asking favors. Um, but it turned out nice in the end, I think.
1: Oh, absolutely. And uh, I genuinely, uh, daily, uh... Love your music, and I, I'm only new to discovering you. Know, it was through uh, it was through Mags, she had sent yeah. me some and uh, Max Blackburn, is that right? Her name, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. which was great. And um, but and that's why I'm curious to speak to the, the likes of yourself because there's some, so much talent, but I'm just curious about what is music like now, the music business, and for you to. To put out like, you just released an album now, and uh, old fashioned morphine, and I, I played us, um, played your song there, um, roll over with the punches, mm. a couple of weeks ago on, on the the other show that I have, and and it's a beautiful song. I was playing to some of my friends here in this in the office. Fantastic. I know it's great. It is genuinely, and I I wouldn't say, just say, and it, I suppose it's, it's my type of music. It's the stuff I like, but. But what's it like now from 2014? You've been releasing music, you've been touring, I'm assuming, you've been doing all of that just pre-COVID because COVID had just changed everything and we'll get to Mm. that in a minute. But tell me about that journey from 2014 to your latest album.
0: Yeah, uh, obviously toured around Ireland. Uh, Clare, Galway, Cork, Dublin, all that. Um, Played in Wexford a lot. As I said, I, I toured in New York and Brooklyn as well. Uh, small places, big places, museums, venues and coffee houses. Um, but I think a lot of that was was torn around that time. There hasn't been much. There hadn't been much for about a year up until COVID. And then COVID is... a. Uh, singing singing songs into your phone and your laptop <laughs> yeah. for a gig which is a it has its pluses and minuses I guess you got to take the good from it and you know mm. there's a lot of online gigs going on and It is what it is at the moment it's making the best of a bad situation you know? I mean you're a musician
1: that's that's what you do right that's mm-hmm. your, that's your life Um but I mean, when you set out to be a musician, and what is now—is—is is it what you expected it to be? Is it?
0: Would you like it to be something well, different? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'd like to be doing a lot more. Um, but yeah, playing live is amazing. You know, it's when you get in a room with people and everyone listens, and that's what you want to do. It for mm. you know, you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it just to be on Spotify or singing into your phone, but live is what it's about. But you can only do what you can do at the moment, and and that's what it is. Mm. Not sure so, that answers your question. No, but. No,
2: no,
1: <laughs> no, I'm just curious because it, it's it's a passion, right? And it's uh, and I spoke to quite a few musicians on on this podcast, and and it's fantastic that you guys do what you do because the likes of me, the likes music. That's where we feed off. But at the same time, I'm, I'm buy as many vinyls and not more CDs. I'm just buying vinyls because I don't have a CD player anymore. But that, too, is not enough to support the art. No. So I'm just, you know, what do we do to make sure that you guys are still making music in, in 10 years' time? What, what's the answer? And I'm sure you don't know if you yeah. have the answer, but how do you support it
0: as an artist? I have my own opinions on that. Uh, like I use Spotify as as a means to get my music out there, but I don't use it to listen to music. Okay. I I buy music all the time. Okay. Because I I feel that the artists should should get something, no matter what it is, to to keep them going, especially independent artists. You know. Mm. Um. My view on Spotify and the likes of that is you should be getting more for that. Mm. It's it's pittance like you know, even if there's a system that comes in where you can listen to it for for free to see the you like it five times or whatever, but then pay something for it. Mm-hmm. You know? But like I've no control over that and I suppose in a way as well it's it's not a platform that was around when you were seventeen, so it is easier to get your music out there. And we wouldn't be doing this podcast or this interview without it. So, just pluses and minuses, though.
1: Yeah, no, and I appreciate your positive um, attitude towards because yeah, uh, again, I go to your website. It's a great website, and uh, I love the. I must say, I love the the tip jar that you have on it. I think it's a great idea. Just mm. fair mm. enough, you know, but and. Uh, and, and also you have your music for sale and, and also you have your uh, you know your your link to YouTube. So uh, there's so much availability. And, and I yeah. think, as you say, it's at the moment we decide as consumers that it's not right to just listen nonstop. Um, yeah. But how do you change that? I don't know. I don't know.
0: I don't know, André. Um, yeah, it just doesn't seem right for a massive corporation to get all the artist's money it just it just baffles me but I'm sure it will change in some way just you might get a penny for your song <laughs> rather than a, a fragment of a penny do you use a band camp? Uh, no I sell I sell my albums through my own website okay so, I know a lot of people use Bandcamp and Bandcamp Fridays, uh, is good for a lot of people at the moment. Okay. But no, I just sell everything through my own. Okay.
1: Okay. So, tell me about your, um, your third song before I ask you a couple of more things.
0: Yeah. It's Neil Young, it's, uh, Heart of Gold. Um, just because, um, I think Neil Young's After the Gold Rush Harvest albums were what got me definitely into writing better, writing simpler. And, you know, a lot of people are not mad about Neil Young's voice, not mad about Dylan's voice. But for me, when I heard Neil Young, because I wasn't a great singer when I started out, I thought, yes, I can probably have a go at this now. <laughs> 'Cause this guy is amazing and he's doing it and like he's a beautiful singer for me, but um I remember seeing a clip of Heart of Gold on it was an American T V show in the seventies and Neil Young had on that real old uh brown suede jacket and his hair was long and a tattered guitar. I think that guitar might have belonged to uh Hank Williams actually. And he was just singing, and it was four, three, four chords, and that's all he needed to know. I just thought, yeah, I can have a go at this now. You know, there's no, no one's playing the guitar like Slash here. It's just, it's simple, and that song is beautiful as I like. So that's what got me into Neil Young, and it's one of my favorite songs.
2: Expressions I never give that keep me searching for a heart of gold, and I'm getting old.
1: You mentioned a couple of times you, you weren't good at singing. You mentioned earlier on when you started off, and you said, you know, what what did you do to improve your singing? Or was, or was it just you that you didn't think you were good enough, and then you
0: no I was diabolical when I started i know i was <laughs> <laughs> but but you know I wanted to do it um I wanted to improve so i i studied music like a like a historian and uh i used to go i used to go into my room and because I was uncomfortable with how low my voice was. I used to sing really loud into my pillow, like I'd bury my face in my pillow and sing really loud, try to get the bit of confidence to go out a bit louder when I could play live. And so it's all then getting to know your voice, you know. Because I remember a couple of gigs when I started out singing, trying to sing really high, but it was like a cat. Like, and I remember seeing one guy kind of grimacing, like, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, like, right, well, that that's not your strength. So, work on your strengths and find your voice find what limits you can go to and what limits you can go to um, and that's that's where I ended up with that very good
1: but do you with your um i mean your songwriting uh and the voice and, and anything with, with music is subjective. You know, I might like it. A lot of people don't. That's the way it works, right? But mm-hmm. the, your songwriting um, is one of the main strengths there, right? You, you, your songwriting, yeah. it, 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 and, and it's not just me saying, I'm just read right about it. You won the competition in Nashville, which is one of two or three Irish people to ever won it. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah.
1: That's an amazing one. And when I read uh, that Tom Waits was on the on the panel though this must be a serious competition because yeah it does anything lightly right and tell me no about it's
0: definitely that. serious yeah
1: tell me about that competition and how it all came about what did you win it for i know you won it for um um the devil and and saint jesus yeah, devil,
0: yeah. um yeah it's just like any other competition you enter it and and then you think i haven't hope <laughs> it's, it's it's worldwide, you know, it's thousands, thousands of people. But I was confident on the song, Devil St. Jesus, you know, it's, I think it's one of my strongest songs, lyrically and musically. And obviously, the judges were a draw as well. Tom that's one of my favourite artists, Chris Cornell were at the time. Um, so I just entered it and didn't think anything more about it. And then you get an email to say, you're into the next round, you're into the next round, and then you're in the final, and you're like, oh, shit, and that's enough for me. And uh, and then I got an email to say I won it, and I was just, just couldn't believe it. I was like, is that real, or is that, is that a mistake? <laughs> so I got talking to the, the woman who runs it, and she said, yeah, you won it, and the judges were very impressed with your with your words and your song and yeah it's just amazing just amazing I think 20 something thousand people entered it brilliant Jack O'Rourke won it Mick Mick Flannery won it Um, so that's not a bad trio to be a parody
1: no fantastic
0: artist all all of you Um, and that's
1: uh, so something like that what does that do to your career or does it do anything because again to go back to what it's a big world out there music and and you know I I, I grew up listening I, I'm always listening to music I always have listened to music but this is almost lost in it like I I didn't know about this competition I know there's a lot of them but I mean that's it's quite a big deal and and I it could be just me but there wasn't a huge amount of noise about Gordon Barry winning the
0: songwriting competition am I right no not really like it has open doors, definitely has open doors and it's nice on the CV, but sometimes these things are an illusion, you know. You think, well, you think, well, you know, you win this thing and you're going to be all over the place. And but sometimes it's not like that. But for me, it was more that the likes of Tom Waits, Chris Cornell, Ricky Lee-Jones, Listened to it and said, "Yeah, that's that's good enough for us. Like that's enough for me. Do you know what I mean?" So yeah, sometimes I think these things they look bigger. Being honestly, they look bigger sometimes than they are. Yeah,
1: that's that's fantastic. Anyway, look, it's amazing. Uh, I would love to have anything that I've done be uh, blessed by Tom Waits, but yeah, uh, <laughs> that's really. It was a
0: little bit. It was a little bit soured for me because. Chris Cornell, growing up, was one of my favorite artists, and he was from that sound of music, that louder sound of music. As a lyricist for me, he really influenced me. He really did, like, and the day that they told me that was the same day he passed away. Oh,
2: no! Wow.
0: Oh. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So I wasn't even going to share it. I was like, because I was like, I was quite upset about Chris Cornell. I was like. And then I was thinking, shit, he probably listened to it like not so long before that? So it was a little bit sour, but like he was a great lyricist. Mm. A lot of people don't don't look into his lyrics, but they're really strong. Mm.
1: And talking about lyrics, um, do you do any type of writing, any other type of writing apart from songwriting?
0: Um, No, I... I tried poetry when I was younger, uh, it was alright, wasn't anything, any great shakes, um, the songs and some of the songs are poetic enough, um, in school I was a fictional writer, I'd write a lot of fictional stories for English classes and the teacher would get me up to read them and she'd, she was always, ex- she was a nun, she was always excited about me having these stories, oh Gordon has a story this week they were quite gruesome and vivid but, and this nun was like, thrilled to get me up to read these. It was a, quite a bizarre thing, but I think, so I always was writing in some sense, just a different sense. But no, I don't do anything, any other kind of writing, just just music.
1: And can I ask you, uh, your process of songwriting, just because I normally ask everybody I'm just so curious
0: about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of always starts the same. I don't work off a sheet of lyrics. I'll just... I'll, uh, I'll always remember a phrase I heard or something interesting. Um, something i read from a book, I'll underline it. And then i would have all that on scraps of paper. Then i pick up the guitar and i would have a look at those sheets of paper. A couple of melody on the guitar and, and try to jigsaw, something out of all that puzzle of words um that's usually how it works on a couple of occasions i'd be just out for a walk and i'd write a poem in my head as i done with the devil Send jesus song wrote that on christmas just out for a walk and then came home and put the music to it and the lyrics uh the melody to it nice nice uh, I'm going
1: to ask you a difficult question because I know they'd be all like your babies, but if you were to pick a song of yours, what would it be? My favorite? Yeah, my um,
0: favorite child. Mm, it I probably would be Devil and Jesus. Do you know? Because it's. I think that's why I'm so proud of it because it stood alone on its own. You can read it as a poem and as a story. Um, so I think that one. Um, I like roll with the Punches as well. And there's a couple that I haven't released yet that I'm kind of excited about. Brilliant. One called If You Climb a Steeple.
1: Nice. Tell me something I asked you to see if you can tell me a, a book that you read recently, something that... Uh, it's too, oh, well, not recently, anytime, really. any time, really any book that you
0: recently Oh well,
1: no, it doesn't have to be recently, anything at all that it could be anything, a book or something that's too, with you
0: yeah, one of my favourite books is uh, well, I, my, my very favourite writer is John Steinbeck I'm <laughs> with you on that yeah on that. and it was The Grapes of Rat was the first one I got um so obviously that story about the family, the Joad family, um, emigrating from the Dust Bowl and going to California to try and make a better life—wonderful story. But Steinbeck, for me, was—he made sense because it wasn't complicated. It's very simplistic writing, kind of like Ernest Hemingway, but it's poetic and it's very image image heavy and there's a lot of description in it of uh, Salinas and the landscape of america and you know i'm a, I'm a bit of a Steinbeck nerd. I went to his house and visited his, his old house in Salinas in his hometown drove through that part of the land I went to monterey where he wrote about Canary raw. I went there on a three month uh, bus trip around around Nevada and California. On a John Steinbeck kind of a trail, <laughs> so I'm a bit of a nerd in that sense. But for me, he's top. He's top writer, and that's that's just a great book. Yeah, and we do on that Canary Row is one of my favorite books of all time. Yeah, yeah I love Canary uh, Row
1: and The parallel as well. Brilliant. So, uh, just before we finish, I want to ask you: if you weren't a musician, what would you be doing?
0: Wow. Well, <laughs> <laughs> If I wasn't a musician or an artist, something like that, probably something in um, something to do with forestry or gardening or something. You know, I love I love the, the great outdoors. So, mm. if I wasn't, maybe just yeah, just driving a tractor around there. <laughs> you know, attending to, to trees. Or I don't know. Just always. Yeah, I thought if I was never a musician or an artist, I'd probably just go into Gardner. Maybe I still will. There's still time, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> you can do both. <laughs> yeah. It's not like in, in my time is all took up. Right? <laughs> but listen, let's talk
1: about for a minute your latest CP, which is the, called Old Fashioned Morphin. Um, now, obviously, you released it just recently, right, in the last month or so? The last couple of months yeah, of months, yeah. It's yeah. all the
0: live long years the e p um, sorry all the long live years yeah oh, okay um all yeah. well, fashion morphine is the first song on it and it's it's the new single it's been around a little while but' giving it we're giving it a push at the moment um yeah that album has got me a good bit of attention actually mm. or that i p i'm sorry uh, quite proud as quite proud of it as well. Um, it kind of bookends the album. Is it The first EP was kind of an intro, then you have an album, and then this is kind of outro to the album. So it kind of bookends that, and until the next project comes along, uh, it's an end of that kind of song right now for me. And uh, when you say you're giving it a bit of a push, in which way? Because
1: obviously we're right in the middle of, the second coming of COVID at the moment, so there's no gigs. I know, I know, right? It's like... <laughs> so how are you pushing it? Is it radios and what else?
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, radio. Um, I just said I'm working with Mags and that, Mags, Blackburn. We're pushing that. We pushed, uh, roll with the punches, radio, radio interviews, press, um, hot press wrote about it, um, RT. so podcasts radio shows um all you can do at the moment because yeah you can't play live but Mm. you can do the rest of it
1: and uh, is there any plans for touring yet or is it all on hold at the moment
0: yeah it's all on hold isn't it um virtual tours maybe Yeah. yeah there's not a lot you can do just what you can and uh Hope to get out there again soon in some way.
1: And uh, I'm curious about that book ending the, the the album with two EPs and say the end of a particular era for you. Um are you changing the style, or are you changing the lyrics? What's 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 the next project? Just as an idea,
0: not it. A... Uh, no, it's like it's all written. Um the next album. That'll be ready to go whenever um, I win the lottery. <laughs> but uh <laughs> Yeah, it's just the end of that kind of type of songwriting and the, and them recordings. So the next one will be all new, be all new recordings and um, mature songs, mature batch of songs. And so, in that sense, that era is gone.
1: Tell me something. I interviewed a girl, Jane Willow. She's singer songwriter, origin from. Um, Holland, and she now lives here. But she lately she just fundraised, uh, self-fundraised, crowd crowdfunded her latest album. Now I don't know what she mm. I can't remember much. It was is um how expensive it is for an album? I don't need to know the full amount, but well, just is it really expensive at the moment? Because I know technology has moved on and all the rest of it. But I think it depends what you want. Mm. You know,
0: if you you can you can record on your phone and mix it in GarageBand and stick it up on Spotify or iTunes. So that's, it's not going to cost you anything. But I don't want to do that. I want to, it's like I play solo and I write solo, but I love the layers of that you can add. So hopefully I'll get to play with the musicians that I want to play with and, you know, put organs and pedal steel and all that over. So in that sense, yeah, that costs a lot. Mm. That, that costs a lot if you want to do it that way because you got to hire session musicians and and then it has to get mixed and it has to get mastered and it can cost a lot yeah okay.
1: so that's so, going back to the the old days the way it was always done the proper way of doing it
0: yeah I yeah. think so Um, but you can do it like you can do it like Springsteen done in Nebraska <laughs> the, you know he just recorded that into his his stereo like do you know you can do it like that maybe down the line but i want to do it big enough for the next one brilliant
1: i'm looking forward to that so listen before i let you go just uh i always ask everybody for what i call the words of wisdom a quote oh, or geez. anything <laughs> doesn't have to be wisdom and a quote
0: or anything that gets you up in the morning anything at all yeah for me it's just uh cliche one day at a time tomorrow's another day because you know you can have a day and everything feels like dog shit and it doesn't look good and but then just get up and go again keep on keeping on brilliant
1: well gordon barry thanks a million for your time i really appreciate
0: it Uh, thank you andrea thank you for having me on so i appreciate that
1: I will leave you with a snippet of Gordon's song The Devil and Saint Jesus Please support the artists Buy their music Buy from their website Thank you The
2: city is a ghost town The sun is setting west, and I wish I had a lover to hold to my breast. These feathers and these anchors,
0: they always
2: weigh me down, and I wish I had a lover in this town. Time in prison, where the road falls out to dust. I spent all of my evenings in this palisade over us. The devil and Saint Jesus, they live on down the hall, and I wish I had a lover. turn to fall so I caught a train to nowhere and escaped